Station running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Conversationalists, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the Fruited Plain, and I am delighted that you are with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, we must now talk about the Trump immunity deal. I shouldn't say deal. It's the Trump immunity decision. The unanimous decision from the D.C. Court of Appeals, Donald Trump is not immune from criminal prosecution for efforts to reverse his loss in the 2020 presidential election. The three-judge panel rejected Trump's argument he could not be charged in the case because he was president at the time of the alleged crimes. We cannot accept that the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. For the purpose of this criminal case, former President Trump has become citizen Trump, with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant, but any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. He will appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, I need to read for you into the decision because I think it's important that you hear the legal emphasis. And I, I want to be clear to you, though, that I am implying the legal emphasis, but I am very confident I'm right. Um. Since uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping into the opinion, well, actually, let me, let me start here. From Election Day 2020 forward, the government alleges that President Trump denied that he had lost his bid for a second term and challenged the election results through litigation, pressure on state and federal officers, the organization of alternative slate of electors and other means. He His alleged interference in the constitutionally prescribed sequence culminated with a Washington, D.C. rally held on January 6, 2021, the day set by the Electoral Count Act for the Congress to meet in joint session to certify the election results. The rally headlined by President Trump resulted in a march of thousands to the Capitol and the violent breach of the Capitol building. The breach delayed the congressional proceedings for several hours, and it was not until the early morning of January 7th that the 2020 presidential election was certified, naming Joseph R. Biden the soon-to-be 46th president. Notice, notice, notice. Court does not use the word insurrection. Since then, hundreds of people who breached the Capitol on January 6, 2021 have been prosecuted and imprisoned. On August 1st, 2023, in Washington, D.C., former President Trump was charged in a four-count indictment as a result of his actions challenging the election results and interfering with the sequence set forth in the Constitution for the transfer of power from one president to the next. Former President Trump moved to dismiss the indictment, and the district court denied his motion. Now, this is where I'm going to put key emphasis in words, and you need to hear the emphasis here, 
It's not written in the text, but I assure you it's there, and I want to explain it. For the purposes of this criminal case, former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant, but any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. Some are reading this as a blanket denial of executive um, privilege once someone leaves office so that any president can be tried for any crime their successor in office drums up because the executive privilege is going away. I'm not. That's why I emphasize this. For the purposes of this prosecution, the president is not entitled to executive immunity for this case. Essentially what the court is is saying there, and I disagree with some of the president's lawyers on this, uh, what the what the court is saying is that in this particular case, for this particular pattern of conduct, executive privilege and immunity does not apply for this case. If the president carpet bombed people, maybe executive privilege would apply in that case. But if the president stirs up a riot to try to upend the transfer of power, it does doesn't apply. They're not making it as broad as some people are reading it. I, I Listen, this is what I've been doing during commercial break today, reading this case. Yes, I was a lawyer. I did constitutional law, blah, 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 blah. We have balanced former President Trump's asserted interest in executive immunity against the vital public interest that favor allowing this prosecution to proceed. We conclude that concerns of public policy, especially as illuminated by our history of the structure of our government, compel the rejection of his claim of immunity in this case. We have also considered his contention that he is entitled to categorical immunity from criminal liability for any assertedly official action that he took as president, a contention that is unsupported by precedent, history, or the text and structure of the Constitution. Finally, we are unpersuaded by his argument that this prosecution is barred by double jeopardy principles. Accordingly, the order of the district court is affirmed. There's a broad overreach by Trump's lawyers, and they made a mistake in their arguments. We talked about it at the time that this was argued before the appellate court. See, what Donald Trump's lawyer argued at the time was that uh, the president cannot be prosecuted for any crime whatsoever he may have committed while in office unless he was impeached by the Congress. And the hypothetical descended very quickly into madness when the judges began to question him. Now, let me ask you a question if you agree with, if you agree with this, because this, this, is, this is where Donald Trump's argument led. And I, I think if you're a Trump supporter, you need to understand how badly his lawyer argued uh, the, the argument in the appellate court. Because Trump's lawyer's position was that no president can be prosecuted for any crime unless first impeached and convicted by the Congress for that crime. 
And the court says, so what you're saying then is that uh, the president could send the SEALs to assassinate a political opponent, and he couldn't get away with it. And the lawyer said, well, he couldn't get away with it because Congress, are we sure Congress would impeach and convict? Are we sure they would do that? If Joe Biden sent SEALs tonight to assassinate Donald Trump, do you really believe the Democrats in the Senate would convict him? If not, he could get away with it, according to Donald Trump's argument. What if the Democrats did decide to convict Joe Biden and Joe Biden sent the SEALs to one by one assassinate them so they couldn't? That's where the argument leads. That's how broadly Trump's team did it. When you prepare an argument for appeal, one of the things that you have to prepare for is boundaries. Appellate courts want boundaries so they can establish clear rules and that those clear rules aren't so broad as to be absurd. And the court was clearly looking for those boundaries, and Trump's team didn't give them any oral argument. So they bound themselves to something. And that's why the word this is, I think, very important here, because they're saying in this case, under these circumstances, with this pattern, he doesn't have immunity. They're not actually saying. They're not actually saying that he has no immunity whatsoever for anything he did as president. In fact, they put the word, we cat- he, We also had the consideration of his condition. He's entitled to categorical immunity from criminal liability for any assertedly official. And they put quotes in official action that he took as president, a contention that's unsupported by precedent. They're trying to find the boundaries of saying, no, you can't prosecute a president for exercising his lawful duties as commander-in-chief. He, 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 we're not going to prosecute Nixon or um, anyone from the Nixon administration for carpet bombing Laos. We're, we're not go- going to prosecute Obama for war crimes by using drones to kill people who turned out to be innocent. We're not going to do that. There are boundaries of this. They're trying to find it. They, I don't think, have actually grasped fully where the boundaries are. But what they're essentially saying is like the, the Supreme Court in pornography, we know it when we see it, that that we know that there are boundaries and we know that Donald Trump's behavior falls outside those boundaries because in this case, with this pattern, in this prosecution, he doesn't have executive immunity. They are not saying no president is barred from prosecution. They're, they're not saying that any president can be prosecuted for the results of things they did in office once they're out of office. They're not opening that door. You can tell from the way they write it that they see it coming that some president, possibly Donald Trump, is going to say, well, I'm just going to have criminally, I'm going to have Joe Biden criminally indicted for something when he leaves office. They're they're largely working to preclude that option in this opinion while saying Trump can be prosecuted for this. This is going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's going to decide it. My guess my guess, and, and Charlie, you can you can record this in, in for the I told you so file. My guess is that the Supreme Court rejects the Colorado contention that they can bar Donald Trump from the ballot. And my guess is that the Supreme Court says that Donald Trump can be prosecuted in this case, but that the Supreme Court will probably try to clarify boundaries that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals was unable to clarify. That That's my guess. My guess is that the decision to throw Donald Trump off ballots is rejected by the Supreme Court, 
and the decision to allow the prosecution of Donald Trump to go forward is approved by the Supreme Court. That's my guess. Because of the Trump hypothetical, I I think that's where Donald Trump ran afoul of the court when his attorney argued that if the president of the United States got Navy SEALs to kill his political appointment, he couldn't be indicted unless he was removed from office by the Congress because he really didn't have an answer for the next question of what happens if the president then sends the SEALs to start assassinating the members of the Senate. This is the problem with the argument. They made it so broad, and the court was looking for boundaries. It's a hard argument to make, actually. It's the argument they had to make. It's the best argument to make, probably. But it was one that wasn't going to satisfy the judiciary. The judiciary wants boundaries so that there are uh, lines established. And, and that is why I think they're going with in this case, in this case, in this case. And they use the word this repeatedly, this, 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 this time, this instance, this case, this pattern, because they want it very much to be about this situation, January 6th and, and the blocking of the transfer of power. They don't want it to be about war. They don't want it to be about bombing people. They don't want it to be about... Uh, presidents doing things that in hindsight could have been criminal. They want it to be about the transfer of power. This case is about the transfer of power and what Donald Trump did or did not do. They allege they never used the word insurrection. In fact, Donald Trump is not charged with insurrection, something he could have been charged with insurrection. They, they didn't do it. But they do believe the prosecution go, can go forward. So the next step will be for Trump to appeal to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court to either affirm this or reject it. It takes four members of the court to hear it. Maybe they have four. Maybe they don't. We'll find out soon. And once this is resolved, then the criminal case can go forward. Can it go forward before the election? Probably not. And then if Donald Trump gets elected, he could fire Jack Smith and shut it all down. And that's what the Democrats are kind of worried about. But, hey. As long as you guys are nominating Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you get what you're you, you're going to get what you deserve because it's a no brainer not to do that. But y'all have done it, and that just improves Donald Trump's odds of getting rejected. You can say it's an insurrection and that he's a threat to the Constitution and democracy, but you sure as heck aren't acting like it in your operations on a daily basis, Democrats. You're listening to the Eric Erickson Show, the perfect blend of news, analysis, opinion, and cooking. Hang on, is that right? Yeah, cooking. Want to be on the show? Come on, be on the show. Call Eric now at 877-973-7425. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, Toby Keith has passed away. I assume by now you all have heard the news. 62 years old, had battled stomach cancer. I, I saw a picture of him from recently and was just kind of stunned um you know it was interesting he wasn't a, a supporter of the Iraq war but he, he had that that very famous song that went viral courtesy of the red white and blue 
uh, wrote it in 20 minutes in response to the September 11th attack. It, it um, kind of got tied to the war effort. He was not a supporter of the war, but the song became so popular and took a uh, life of its own. And uh, it, it's amazing how many people on the left vilified him for that song, though uh, tying him to the Iraq War, though he was not a fan of the Iraq War. What he did, though, was he embraced the soldiers. He wound up actually endorsing George W. Bush for re-election. Uh, he's a, a Democrat. He supported a number of Democrats, uh, came out against the war in Iraq, supported Barack Obama in 2008, um, but ultimately decided that Democrats were just too progressive for him. Republicans weren't really his thing, so he was an independent. Um, but he And he also had a feud with the Dixie Chicks, um, who didn't like his jingoism over his song, but... Um, just an amazing um, and a, a very amazing, interesting personal, a patriot of the United States who battled stomach cancer, and uh, he has passed away now. He was, what, 61 years, 62 years old, died in his sleep overnight in Oklahoma, um, announced by his family. He was a big, big supporter of Allie's House in Oklahoma, um, supporting kids with cancer. Um, just sad. Toby Keith, dead at 62. Around the country, Americans are battling the Biden administration's economic policies. Americans for Prosperity is helping organize the effort of the grassroots in this country to get them into state legislatures and local governments to educate Americans on how bad the Biden policies are on energy and on education and on so much more. Uh, Americans for Prosperity wants you on their team. So here's the thing. If you go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, you can sign up. There are over 4 million activists that they've got. They will teach you how to be a door knocker to go uh, fight against the Biden administration with your neighbors, to teach your neighbors what's wrong, to get your neighbors involved. They'll teach you how to be someone who goes to your local or state government and educate your elected officials on good policy and what bad policy is. They make you smarter and more informed than your neighbors so you can educate your neighbors. And they support limited government. They support parents. They support school choice. They support energy exploration. They support the free market. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. There are very few organizations that have kept their way in these crazy times. They have. That's why I support them. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. He's got the courage to tell you the truth, because the truth is what matters. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, you are more than welcome to call. Yeah, so, yeah, no, no. No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm. I'm. There's, there's some mass hysteria over. Uh, of course, the Wall Street Journal and the Chamber of Commerce support the Senate immigration bill. Mitch McConnell has already bailed on it. It's not going to happen. I, I just, I, I don't understand um, the anxiety 
of people. And yeah, they're they're, they're used to pulling fast ones. I get that. But when the uh, when when the, the Speaker of the House of Representatives says it's dead on arrival, it's probably dead on arrival. If there's something that I, I just have to laugh at, because I've been around the block enough as a conservative activist, as a talk show host, as someone involved in politics, the idea, the idea that the United States Congress is going to get anything done seriously and substantively in election year is one of the most laughable things that I have seen. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to any of them. Lord knows they're trying to get stuff done, but this is an election year. And I have been telling you guys since last year that when January rolled around, we would be in an election year. And in election years, in this day and age, nothing gets done, particularly when you have a divided government. Now, I need to resume a a point, and I'm going to take a point of personal privilege to repeat a monologue that I have done uh, multiple times in various ways. Some of you are going to say it's repetitious, but we got a lot of new people here, and I need to do this. We have a great need to review the Constitution of the United States. Now, if you listen to me on a regular basis, you know that Hillsdale College does ads where they are educating people um, about the Constitution, but I got to just read you a portion of this article in Section 7. All bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills. Every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate shall, before it becomes law, be presented to the President of the United States. If he approves, he shall sign it, but if not, he shall return it with his objections to that House in which it shall have originated. Who shall enter the objections at large on their journal and proceed to reconsider it? If after such reconsideration, two-thirds of the House shall agree to pass the bill, it shall be sent together with the objections to the other House by which it shall likewise be reconsidered, and if approved by two-thirds of that House, it shall become a law. But in all such cases, the votes of both Houses shall be determined by yeas and nays, and the names of the persons voting for and against the bill shall be entered on to the journal of each House, respectively. If any bill shall not be returned by the President within ten days, Sundays excepted, after it shall have been presented to him, the same shall be law in like manner, as if he had signed it, unless the Congress, by their adjournment, prevent its return, in which case it shall not be a law. That's called the pocket veto. Every order, resolution, or vote to which the concurrence of the Senate and House representatives may be necessary, except on a question of adjournment, shall be presented to the President of the United States, and before the shame shall take effect, shall be approved by him or be disapproved by him, shall be repassed by two-thirds of the Senate and the House representatives, according to the rules and limitations prescribed in the case of the bill. The Congress, Section 8, shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, but all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform. Congress shall have the power 
to borrow money on the credit of the United States, to regulate commerce with the foreign nations and among the several states, to establish uniform rules of naturalization, uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies, to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and of foreign coin, and fix the standards and weights and measures, to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States, to establish post offices and post roads, to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive rights to their respective writings and discoveries, to constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court, to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations, to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, to make rules concerning rules concerning the captures of land and water, to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for longer than two years, to provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for the calling of the militia, to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections and repel invasions, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointments of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over the District of Columbia, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by the Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. Thus ends the reading of this word of the Constitution of the United States of America, Article 1, Section 7 and 8. I bring this up because gridlock is a feature, not a bug, of the system. There is mass frustration with the ability to get anything done in Washington. Yes! Our founders wanted to make it difficult to get anything at all done. Our founders did not want it to be easy. Our founders did not want much to happen. Our founders wanted the states to be supreme. And we in this country have decided to make Washington the be-all, end-all of everything. And I would, would, would cite, and I forget who exactly said it, but if you live in existential dread over who could win a presidential election, then you have made the presidency too powerful. And if you live in existential dread over who can control the Congress, you have made Washington too powerful. Congress had li has limited powers. Congress has limited duties. Congress has limited obligations. The presidency does as well. And we have made them reign and rule supreme in ways the founders never intended. And we should withdraw that power and curtail that power and give it back to the states. And it's very easy to do. Allow the states to work. There is gridlock in Washington, D.C., and that gridlock is by design. It is really hard to get anything done. Do you understand what I just said about this? You, you have committees. How does a bill become a law? It, it generally goes to committee. It's written. It referred to a committee. The committee votes it up and marks it up and amends it and puts it on the floor of the House. And there are amendments proposed, and then it's voted on there. Then it has to go to the Senate, and the same procedure goes to committee. It goes to the floor. If it's in the same form, it passes. If they've made any changes at all, it then goes back to the House of Representatives, where it's got to be debated all over again and go through the process again. And then if you get both sides of Congress, the House and the Senate, to draft the same legislation word for word, and they both approve, it goes to the president who can veto it. It's a hard system. The idea that in an election year, when the Republicans control the House of Representatives on a good day by a single seat, that we were going to get some sort of comprehensive immigration reform done is nonsensical on its face. 
the idea that that's going to be solved this year. They weren't able to solve it when the Democrats held a supermajority, filibuster-proof majority in the United States Senate with Barack Obama in the White House and the Democrats controlling the House. They didn't solve it then. The Republicans for two years under Donald John Trump, President of the United States, held the Senate and the House and the presidency, and they didn't solve it then. For anyone to think that it was going to be solved now, when the Democrats barely control the Senate, the Republicans barely control the House, and Joe Biden is controlled by the progressives in the White House, is silly. What's more silly is the Democrats' belief that more must be done by Congress for the president to do anything. That in and of itself is hilarious. It's not true. This is Senator Haggerty from Tennessee. Listen to him. Senator, do you, do you believe that if a bill like this were to, in fact, get enacted and passed, that it actually is, is, would be a positive for President Biden, therefore a negative for former President Trump in terms of the broader election? I don't think it's going to be a positive or a negative at this point. This is just a messaging bill right now. Uh, it depends on how they spin it. Okay. President Biden's already taken the victory lap on this. I think what he would do, though, if this were implemented, it would actually make President Trump's job much more difficult next year if he's to win the election in November. President Trump demonstrated that the executive authority exists today. President Biden came into office in 2021. The executive order took down Remain in Mexico policies, safe third country policies, policies that were working. Stop building the wall. All of that can be reinstated immediately. What I don't want to see is more capacity and more rapid processing of people and, frankly, more messaging going to the cartels that actually control the southern border and the northern border of Mexico, more messaging going to them that there's just a new path to come in the United States and here's the way to do it. That's what this legislation, again, is drafted right now would actually accomplish. That's a loss of the American citizens, a loss of the United States. And as the people in New York and Chicago, uh, whether there was a crisis in 2020 versus what they're experiencing right now. A messaging bill. That's what it is. A messaging bill for the election. In the run-up to the election, it, it's their messaging. They're, they're not actually planning on passing the legislation. As I said at the very beginning of the program, what's going on here is an autopsy. They have produced a piece of legislation for which they intend to do an autopsy so that both sides can in some capacity determine who's to blame for not getting anything passed. But they're not getting anything passed, not because they don't have the ability to do it, which they don't actually do, but because it's an election year where it's very difficult to pass anything. Another reason it's very difficult to pass anything, listen to this from Yamichi Alsandor on MSNBC. Welcome back. As we mentioned, our latest NBC News national poll paints a bleak picture for President Biden right now with just nine months to go until Election Day. His job approval is at 37 percent overall. That's the lowest our poll has ever recorded during his presidency. He also trails former President Donald Trump by five points in a hypothetical but increasingly likely rematch. President Biden only trailed by two points in our November poll. You have Democrats barely in control of the Senate, Republicans barely in control of the House, and a historically unpopular president with a 37% approval rating who is losing in almost every major national poll to the former president of the United States, who himself is deeply unpopular and yet less popular than the present president. The idea 
that this immigration bill was going to pass the United States Congress and be signed into law by Joe Biden was preposterous out of the gate. It is an election year with a group of deeply unpopular people in a deeply divided Congress. There was no path for this to begin with. The only question is why even bother to trot it out in the public for everyone to see the dead body? But they did. There's no reason to spend an inordinate amount of energy in Washington, D.C., on this particular piece of legislation and no reason for people to be whipped into existential terror over its passage because it was dead on arrival, not because the Speaker of the House said it was dead on arrival, but because it literally was dead the moment it was presented. It had no pulse. They knew it. It was a cadaverous piece of legislation that has no chance of passing. It was designed to be a message of what could be, but what could be cannot be as long as the border is currently insecure by a president who has the power to secure it and has refused to do it. There's no pulse there. Maybe I'm talking about Biden. Maybe I'm talking about the legislation. Well, there is a pulse. Is the pulse of business at Old Glory Bank. They have the pulse of conservatives who are worried about the progressive banking trends in the country. It's why they started Old Glory Bank. It's pro-America. It's an online bank. They've created a remarkable mobile and online banking technology. It is my bank. I literally use Old Glory Bank. You can, too. They have Old Glory Cash In that gives you 85,000 retail locations around the country. You can easily deposit cash into your bank account. They've got smart things like the budgeting tool called Goals that help you set up periodic payments to help save for things that matter, like braces for your kids or vacations. And they offer VA, conventional, and FHA home loans. You don't have to do business with one of those hyper-woke banks in the country. You can do business with Old Glory Bank. You can cancel your bank before it cancels you. You can debank with your bank before they debank with you because they find out you're a gun owner. You can switch to pro-America anti-woke bank. It's Old Glory Bank. It is my bank. I use this bank. I have check-in and savings with Old Glory Bank. OldGloryBank.com. You can set up an account in less than eight minutes for yourself or for your kids. OldGloryBank.com. You can set up an account for your business. They stand with you. OldGloryBank.com. I've got, again, it's my check-in and my savings. They've got a great interest rate on their savings account, by the way. And by the way, also, they don't charge monthly fees. So you can get your check-in and savings account. They're not going to charge you a fee. It's OldGloryBank.com. Terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Well-connected and well-respected. It's Eric Erickson, live every weekday. Want Eric's weekly recipes? They're super delicious. Text recipe to 33777 now. I'm kind of impressed with this. Um, I, I'm 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 impressed actually. So, you know, nationally of the big national banks. So, what you you got Wells Fargo, you got Bank of America, you've got Citibank, you got J.P. Morgan Chase. It's harder and harder to find bank branches for the big banks, or smaller banks, regional banks. They're filling the void, except for J.P. Morgan. Hundreds of branches at rival banks are being closed each year, according to the Wall Street Journal. Customers are shunning the teller. They're choosing the mobile app largely because they have to. But J.P. Morgan, it's moving back into brick-and-mortar banks. J.P. Morgan plans to build 500 new branches in the next three years. Confirming an earlier report in the Wall Street Journal, the multi-billion dollar investment will fill out cities. It's recently entered Boston, Philadelphia, Charlotte, North Carolina, 
Only 17 banks have more than 500 branches. J.P. Morgan has close to 5,000. And by the way, it's paying off. They said in 2018 that they were going to open hundreds of branches. Most of the big banks were closing branches. And now J.P. Morgan, it's opened more than 650 new branches. It's entered 25 new states. It's the first bank with branches in all 48 contiguous states. So, you know, I, I move for my uh, for my uh, personal banking to Old Glory Bank. We still have as our primary bank account my wife's Bank of America account that she's had since she was a kid, moved into it when we were married, and, and our, our online bill pay is so entangled, I'm slowly transitioning over time to Old Glory. Uh, but we still do a lot of business with Bank of America, and you can't find a bank branch in my area anymore. I moved my business account uh, to Synovus, which is a regional bank in the southeast, because not only do they have bank branches very near my house, but they don't roll over the bankers. Like, I was using another bank. It'll go nameless. It's a regional bank um, spreading across the south, and they've got bank branches in my area, but it's like you go in, and every week there's someone new there. You never have the same guy, and with Synovus at least – uh, it's it's the same people there every time. There's no major rollover. It's just it's it's remarkable to see the era of the bank branch seemingly dying, and it's it's also remarkable to see J.P. Morgan that doesn't need to do physical banking actually moving physical banking. They want 20% of the country's deposits. They've got 12% of the country's deposits today, and so they decided that they needed to uh, expand. And now suddenly Bank of America is getting a clue and, and going back into it. I mean, around my area, though, they've, they've closed pretty much every branch. It's just ATMs. It's, it's, it's depressing to see. You used to have great relationships with your bankers, and it's harder and harder unless you've got a credit union these days to have them. Uh, they, by the way, one of the great things with Old Glory as well is, is though it's online for so many people, uh, they you can develop a relationship with the bankers there, and there's no rollover. It's just it's it's – you used to be able to have these relationships where the banker knew you, and now every week it's just a different person in the bank. Frustrating. So good for J.P. Morgan doing this, uh, a return to an old era. Talk to you guys tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.